Let's read the letter together. So from verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just a moment for us to flick through that again, to reread it, just to see which bits the Spirit highlights for you, which bits uh, speak to you. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, your God-breathed word, useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Father, we want to live lives that are good and effective. We want to make an impact in our world, in our places of work, in our homes, our relationships. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak through this revelation to your church. Speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, let, me, let me sort of approach it like this. I, I've, I think I've got five things I want to draw out of the, the text in the next sort of 25 minutes or so. Uh, so just to give you, let me give you a little route map. I want to just say a little bit about, as is the pattern in these churches, there's always something that the angel says about um, Jesus himself. There's some attribute to Jesus. I want to just touch on that. I think it's refreshing. Good. I want to touch on the bit where he says, I know your deeds, you have little strength. And just to reflect on that. Uh, I want to reflect on the opposition a little bit, the synagogue of Satan. I want to uh, look at the bit where he says, um, uh, did it. Sorry, I've prepared this in another Bible and I've just lost the bit where it is here. Um, not another, but I mean like, a, you know, oh, anyway. <laughs> here we go, verse 11. Uh, hold on to what you have. Uh, I want to just, when tests come, what do we do there? And just a bit at the end, uh, he who overcomes, which again is a familiar theme. You've, those of you who've been here regularly uh, in this series, you'll know there's always that promise to they who overcome. So that's what I want to touch on. Let's look at Jesus, first of all. 
These are the words of him, Jesus, who is holy and true. Holy is the name that is most ascribed to to the character of God. Names in the Bible are important. They they speak of character. They They have real weight. They have meaning. And God is described more often than not in the Old Testament as as holy, a holy God. We often think of holiness as as, um, um, a a sort of movement away from, you know, holy, you kind of withdraw, don't you? If someone's also being all holy, it's because they're being a little bit sort of sanctimonious and, you know, they're not getting involved in the party or whatever it is. But we, we know that God who is holy came to us in Jesus. Holiness is not withdrawing away from sin. It is, it, it's coming towards sin. It's coming towards brokenness with a view to mending it, to engaging with it, to healing it. And this is God who is holy, coming towards his uh, church, imperfect in all its different ways. God who's coming towards the world that he made in love and power and with a view to make holy and perfect and complete themselves. This is, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Holy and true. The, the, the sense is of being like dead straight. No sense of deviation. I don't know if, um, I'm, I'm conscious, there's a couple of golfing analogies that are gonna come up in this, so bear with me. If uh, I'm a very occasional and very poor golfer, uh, but from the tee, when you when you when you're driving your ball from the tee, and too often I I hit the ball, I make good contact with the ball, and it, it starts off straight, but then inevitably it deviates. It just there's a slight slice, whoa, that way into the bushes or the trees, or a hook and into the water over there, and it started off so well, but then it veers. But every now and then. I'd, I'd stand there and I, I'd, and I club the ball and it starts off straight and it keeps on going straight and it keeps on going straight and it is so satisfying. There's something so good about something that's straight and true. It's straight and it stays straight. I, I don't know if you can make similar applications in your life when something is good and stays good. It, it's goodness sort of wins through. That's, this is Jesus. Holy. He comes towards us in his engodedness in order to impart that to us. And he's true. He, he is exactly who he says he is. He, you know, you, you hit him straight and he stays straight. He's holy and good and true to his word. These are his words to the church in Philadelphia. He holds the key of David. Jesus is in the Davidic line. of of King David and all the way through God's blessing and anointing on King David and all the way through to Jesus Jesus is God's anointed God's Messiah and he holds the key to to life in uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel when he talks about building his church on Peter's confession he says and I give you the keys to the kingdom and what you unlock will be unlocked and what you don't lose will not be loosed. You did, there's authority and there's power in the keys of the kingdom. And this is who this Jesus is. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, he says to this church in Philadelphia. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
Now, is he talking about the, the kingdom there? Is he talking about a church that will grow? Is he talking, as we saw on the map, about a, a strategic opportunity? The, the doorway, the gateway to Asia? I don't think it much matters. I think it's probably a bit of both. But a real opportunity that Jesus has given to the church in Philadelphia. I know your deeds, he says. And then midway through verse 8, I know that you have little strength. Second thing I want to touch on. You have little strength. And yet you've held firm to my word. You've been true to me. You've not compromised. Just as I am straight and true, you have been straight and true, even though you have little strength. Again, I wonder whether that's a nuanced reference to the fact that their buildings collapsed in AD 17, that in physical terms they felt very friable, very vulnerable. Um, The the sort of historians and commentators say that actually a number of people, when they began to rebuild these other towns and cities, Philadelphia being one of them, that a number of the people refused to sort of actually go back to... um, you know, uh, stone and concrete buildings that they, were, they preferred actually to live in the kind of makeshift tents because it just felt a bit safer that way. So they felt quite vulnerable, quite small, of little strength to withstand the tremors of an earthquake. Maybe to withstand what they felt was the opposition from these um, zealous Jews. We'll come on to that in just a moment. How, how, do, you, how do you feel? <laughs> as the church of Jesus Christ in this country, in the West, uh, with the, the, the media wash and sweep, with so many of the sort of shifts in our culture, some of which quite big, significant shifts in the way in which we understand ourselves in relation to others, uh, uh, enshrined in law. Uh, I, was, I, took, I was here at a wedding yesterday, um, the wedding service still declares that marriage is between a man and a woman, although legally um, the definition is something different. We're, we're, we're in a contest, we're in a battle, wrestle with um, issues touching on our very human identity. And uh, we, I don't know about you, but I, I increasingly feel myself to be in a minority voice. I don't know about you, and you, you, I imagine you even more so. Um, I find that even, dare I say, within Christian circles, even within Christian leadership circles, I find that to hold what has for centuries been a traditional biblical view on certain moral and ethical issues now becomes well, one of a number of opinions and even a minority opinion. I look at the way in which some of my colleagues have voted on certain things within the church, moral issues, and I recognize that my vote has been a minority voice. How are you feeling? Less strength perhaps than we felt in previous generations. I don't know. I know that you have little strength. Yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I, I promise I, this is in my notes, I intend to say this before I realise that uh, various sort of key people who were at the wedding yesterday are in the congregation this evening. But we, we had, and we have a number of weddings here, I don't want to just single out yesterday, but it's fresh in the mind. And uh, we had pretty much all our seats laid out and they were pretty much all full and um, a glorious celebration of uh, Andrew and Imogen Slazenger, who are, yeah, enjoying their honeymoon uh, even now. And... Um, 
we had some great, uh, we had three great hymns. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. The, the chorus, how wonderful, how marvelous. Uh, before the throne of God above, in Christ alone. And there's something about, I mean, I think it's just the, the, it's, it's the context is celebration. And the context is occasion, a kind of one-off. And so everyone almost takes a deeper breath as they start to sing. And there's something about the, the weight and the welly and the, just the essence of the worship. It speaks. And I find the opportunities to talk about Jesus off the back of that. I had an amazing conversation um, over the, the dinner afterwards. I was sitting next to, to someone. And normally you, you maybe get 30 seconds. Who was on the Believer's Toolkit? Just recently, any any hands? Just okay, a few. Uh, so about ninety of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we had this little practice where we just we everyone had a match and we struck a match and we practiced in the time it takes for a match to burn to tell our story, because we don't often get the opportunity to you know it's not we've got forty five minutes it's often thirty seconds if that so we had a little practice in this little. Uh, believers toolkit sharing our faith about uh, you know whether we could do that in a quite a punchy way but the great thing about yesterday off the back of this service was I I had quite an opportunity I was probably about five or ten minutes and I was listening to have they had enough don't give them too much don't give them too much no they kept on coming back with more questions more questions so I kept saying more and more it's wonderful thank you Lord but that was all off the back I bet this person when they saw the table plan you know what it is of the wedding and everything. Oh, great wedding. Who am I sitting next to? Who am I sitting next to? The vicar. <laughs> no. So you're thinking, I'm looking forward to the best man's speech. This is going to be you know, guffawing with laughter. Oh, not with the vicar. No. I bet their hearts sank. Oh, no, they're next to him. But actually, we had a... Well, I had a great conversation. <laughs> Come to think of it, they didn't do much talking. No, no. Uh, you're very kind, Simon. You're very kind. My point being, my point being, get back on point. We can sometimes, oh, we're just a little church. You know, people sort of walk past us and don't really know what's going on. A number of people, oh, I didn't realize it was so big in here because they walk past, they just see this little door and little window. And they come in and they think it's going to be a sweet little service and we'll sort of, we'll sort of sing along. And boom! There is power, there's strength. There's meaning, there's intention, there's, there's kind of something that, and they look around and they see this, this sort of matches up with the people I meet. This, is, this isn't a show, this is, you live this, this means something to you. And in the conversation you can explain what it is, I was sharing what it is to live for Jesus. Why it is I live for Jesus, why it is I do what I do. And I could kind of tell this was kind of landing. Wow. I, 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 what I'm trying to say here, I'm trying to encourage us. If we feel small, it's a bit like John said on the, our speaker on the weekend away, you know, Jesus shines off us. That I'm not, that's not a boast or big-headed. Jesus said to us, you are the light of the world. He didn't say try to be the light of the world. He didn't say, hey, try and shine a bit. He said, you already are the light of the world. And you put a light in darkness and it shines. If you have a battle, light versus dark, dark always loses. Light always wins. You are the light of the world. And we put the light together. That's quite a glow. It has quite a reach. And when we gather on occasions like yesterday or this evening, other, the number of people who I have, have either come to faith or come back to faith through encountering a, a, a body of worship 
such as we have here and other places, not just us. There's lots of churches like this around this city and around this nation. God is very much alive. The, the media is you know, all dying and off, and the curves are, you know, the graphs are all going down. And yeah, there's, it's to support us and encourage us in the face of that opposition. And it's worth just saying here, by way of reflection, that um, it's, it's the opposition to the recognition of who Jesus is that God promises to stand by us and support us. It's not when we, it's not when we get embroiled in secondary or tertiary issues, important as they may be. It's not when, if I can put it bluntly, it's not when we're stupid or foolish or unwise. It's, it's, it, you know, when we slightly get it wrong, that, that's, and, we get, and we get slapped down for it or, or marginalized or whatever, that, that's kind of partly you know, our own stupid fault. We kind of need to wise up, sharpen up. That's very different. Issues around, I mean, there's so much in the media at the moment, isn't there, around the whole um, sexuality, human sexuality. I'm not going to go down that thing, but just pretty much every week there's a new issue where uh, it's maybe a Christian person or a moral person and immediately the sort of stuff flies, oh, homophobia and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, let's be wise when we look at these things. So, you know, the, the bakers in, um, is it in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, and the, you know, the, the refused to, that's not an issue, that's not an issue primarily of sexuality, it's about, it's about freedom of speech. That's what that case is about. It's about the right to offend. And that's okay. We sh- we should, it sh- it's okay to be offended. And it's okay to offend. It's, it's about freedom of speech and the right for that. The, we, we, this is one of the most offensive things. And we worship centered on, on what they did to Christ. We are an offense. When we take communion, that's not a nice sweet thing. We're eating Jesus' body that was sacred, was ripped for us. It's offensive. To, to, to be aware of what the issues actually are. It's not about gay stuff. You know, this, um, there's a primary school teacher uh, and a uh, head teacher, and a huge for again because uh, she, there was a play she, that she put on for the primary school kids and involved um, one of the characters of two guys, two princes who fell in love. And, um, you know, there was a clear agenda to that play. Hey, I, I've got... I've got I've got issues about that, but that's not the issue there as a Christian. The, the issue is actually about the communication. The parents all up in arms and sort of, Ooh, and it's become a sort of, oh, it's homophobic again. No, 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 no. That was about just wise communication on the part, of, I think, of the school and the teacher. That's about, that's, that's what the thing is. Sort of recognize what the issue is. Don't wade in and suddenly get opposition for being a Jesus brother, God brother or whatever, when we haven't prayerfully discern what's really going on here's the real issue those who are not yet Christians those we might say out in the world who, who kind of have a real you know they, they come across as opposition you know what it is it's because all they've got to go on is our stuff about sex or our stuff about women and that's because that's what we appear to only ever talk about if we could be heard to speak about Jesus there'd be then there'd be, that's what the opposition's about. That's what it, that's what it, that would clarify the issues. And that's when we know God is right with us. Because he promises in his word. I have a feeling God's a bit ambivalent about some of the other stuff we get involved in. But if it's about Jesus and recognizing who Jesus is. 
and speaking for Jesus and living for Jesus, if we get, when we get opposition, God promises to stand by us, to uphold us, to strengthen us. There's no word of condemnation for Philadelphia like that is for some of the other churches in this little series. I speak to myself. I, I, I feel really convicted. Just the other day, Joe and I were having a conversation about the church. And uh, our son walked in. To, we were in the kitchen. And I was thinking, as he came in on the conversation, and I was kind of just talking some aspect of the you know, church, you know, some issue that needs to be sorted out. And that's what he picks up. And I found myself later thinking, when was the last time our son walked into the kitchen and heard us talking about Jesus? What, what does, what's our son picked up about what it is to live for Jesus? It's to do with sort of administrative issues or things that aren't going so well in this area of uh, some kind of organisation. So what? When, 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 when does he last hear us rejoicing over the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour? What do are, what are people, what do they kind of sniff about us? What kind of pours out of us? Is it the issues and other things or is it Jesus? Because that's what we should be getting opposition for. Even if we have little strength like Philadelphia, God will stand with us and he'll stand against those who bring opposition for the right reasons. Because we are standing four square for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Endure patiently, he says, and God will keep us from the time of trial. What is it, what if we, uh, what if we feel, fourthly, what if we feel tested? What if actually we feel that, you know, our, our living for Jesus is not going so swimmingly, it's not going so, we're not living so fruitfully for him. What if we don't quite feel we live up to this church in Philadelphia uh, who've um, not, they've kept his word, they've not denied his name. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. What if your crown is in danger of slipping or being, uh, falling off altogether, being nicked by someone else, smashed to pieces? What do we do then? This is the golfing analogy again. Um, my golf is sufficiently poor that um, uh, in a round of 18 holes, uh, I'll, I'll maybe play um, three or four holes passably, relatively well. But almost inevitably, there'll come a time, and normally when I get, I get a little bit weary in a sort of four-hour round of golf, so in the sort of hole 13, 14, 15, when I just, I suppose I just lose a bit of technique and I, so as I'm, as I'm hitting the ball, I scuff it or top it or slice it or whatever. And I, get, I get a bit frustrated. So the next time, I think, oh, come on. And so I kind of, I can feel myself sort of tensing up. I hold the club even harder and I, yeah, and I begin to, and I really lose it. And for maybe two or three holes, the ball is just sprayed. The safest place to be is, is on the green, frankly. Balls flying everywhere. What, what do you do when your Christian life is golf balls flying everywhere? When there's no consistency? When you're kind of taking a few air shots or topping the ball or slicing it into the woods, as it were? What, what do you do? Well in, well, in golf, what it is, is you, you, you kind of go back to the basics. In my case, I had about six golf lessons. It seems a long time ago now. 
And I just, I just go back to what the instructor, I just go, go back to the, just to the stance, and you just check the grip and the setup. You just go back to the basics. And then when it comes to the swing, you know, the, the club is designed to, the club head or the, with the angle of the head and everything, the club is designed basically to do the work. You, you don't have to really put any extra effort into it. Just swing. Just swing. So what I do is go back to, I don't try and welly the ball. I just, it's maybe 75% effort. Just get, get, get the basic things right and then just, just swing. Let the club do the work. To take the effort, the energy, the, the kind of straining out of it. Get back into the basic rhythm of a golf swing. I've just given you a free golf lesson there. <laughs> Same thing with the Christian faith. You know, it's just, it's just, when, it, it, when it feels unnecessarily hard, when it feels difficult, when it feels tough, when it feels foggy, go back. We, we've looked at this in previous letters. Go back to your first love. Remember. When, when was the last time you, you knew, you, can, you weren't sort of on show or anything, so you were just, it was you and God and you knew he was real. When was the last time you read his word and he spoke to you through scripture? What, what, where was that? Go back to that scripture. Go back to those notes. Go back to that worship song. Go back to those people you were praying with. And, and just, it, it's just go through the, those motions. Hold on. It doesn't sound particularly sexy, does it? Sort of as Christians, we really want to make a difference. Just holding on. But sometimes, particularly in the face of opposition, particularly when it feels tough, particularly when our spiritual life feels dry, holding on to the basics and just doing the basic things well is all that God calls us to do. I'm coming soon, he says. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Finally, to the overcomers. This is amazing here. Those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Genesis, in that verse, verse 12, the, the, the phrase, my God, is written there four times. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking through the angel, he uses the, the phrase, my God, four times. That's very rare, actually. In fact, the only other time that Jesus is recorded as referring to his father as my God was when, do you remember? On the cross, the crucifixion. Yeah, when, when he's actually at the, the, the focal point, the most intense point of his hour of need, when he's at his most intensely persecuted, when he feels most distant from his father, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And that's what he says here, four times, my God. In other words, when we feel at our most distant, when we feel at our most in need of the father, the Father, my God, will be there for you. Again, a little bit of background on, on this. Uh, the, the tradition was then, as actually, we kind of do this with the kind of blue plaques uh, on the buildings today. Men and women of note, uh, often when a building was, a new building was built, and there's a lot of new building going on because of the earthquake. When a new building was built, they'd put a pluck, uh, your name was engraved on the pillar. 
So a notable person was written on the pillar. And uh, you kind of thought you'd, you'd, you'd note them as you, as you walked into the temple or the portico of a house or whatever it might be. Similar kind of thing, you know the, the blue plaques we have around um, so-and-so lived here, so-and-so lived there. And I don't know about you, when you I notice them and because uh, I want to read, oh, who was that? Who lived there? And I, I look at the plaque and think, oh, whoever it was, you know, Francis Bacon or whoever it might be. And then... And then what, what I do is sort of stand back and go, oh, okay, they live, they live there. And it, it sort of makes me freshly appreciate the building or the place, if it's not the original building, then at least it's this, they, they lived around here. And I, I take in the building. But what, but what Jesus is saying here is even more remarkable because it's, it's, not, it's not that I'll notice your name or even I'll notice the pillar that it's on, it's you will be the pillar. And I will write my name on you. Do you see that? In verse 12. Those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem. Jesus will write on us. And we will have a permanent place. In the temple, his place of worship. In, in a city where the buildings fell down, Jesus says, you will know permanence. Who, who is that? It's those who are victorious, those who will overcome, those who, even though they feel that they have little strength, they'll be confident in the strength they have. They will not deny Jesus. Even amid opposition for standing up for Jesus being true to his word. Those are the ones that Jesus says, I will, I'm coming soon. Hold on. Just, even, if it, even if it's just, just the basics, then do the basics well. Swing the club of your Christian life and your Christian living because I am going to write your, my, my God's name, my Father's name on you and you will have a permanent place in the house of God. Is that good news for the Church of Philadelphia? That's good news for us, isn't it? Isn't that worth holding out for? Even though we have tough times, and we're going to continue to face tough times. Uh, as uh, Christians in this nation, in this part of the world, it's, you can see it coming. There are going to be real tests on those who stand up for Jesus. Tests on you and I, as we look to, to do and say what is right and true and holy like Jesus and we're going to need to lean on these promises trust in them and believe that we have a lasting place in his house in his place of worship